We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everyone, to the May 17th edition of the Eurotaware NFL podcast brought to you by Circus Sports. We talked about it last week. It's the best ball strategy. We talked about an underdog. We'll give you a different best ball league to participate in. Jim and I have been doing one right now. Currently active. I'm currently crushing the draft. I'm, uh, I know Jim is like going to be live probably as we're going on with this in terms of his picks. Uh, we'll talk about what our strategies have looked like thus far and a few of the other users in that draft and what they've done to kind of round out what happened in last week's show. So stick around. Let's get right to it. And welcome to the May 17th edition of the Vertical NFL Podcast brought to you by Circus Sports. It's our best ball recap part two edition. Essentially, Jim Coventry and I uh, have tried our best to put together a best ball, right? We we had talked about last week that I was pushing it on Twitter. Jim uh, sent about 15 different tweets out as well, too, for an underdog league. We had talked a lot of our strategy about underdog best ball leagues. Unfortunately, unable to get that together. However, we've transitioned over to doing uh, it's it's really on the NFS, NFFC's best ball format right jim it's the best ball tens if i'm calling that correctly so fan ball yeah the best ball fan tens. Ball. yeah yeah which um is great for me because I'm, I'm most familiar with those i had talked about the 30 round nffc like deep best balls it's more or less on the same platform i think for this it's six points per passing touchdown is that correct that's correct yeah, so six points for passion touchdown. We'll talk about that because I, I had actually Joe Burrow ahead of uh, Jalen Hurts in my quarterback rankings for this format. Obviously, an underdog, it's a little bit different. But uh, overall, just recapping what we discussed last week and kind of applying those same strategies today. So I know we had uh, mentioned on last week's show that in the SiriusXM uh, expert draft that you guys did, boy, it was a week after the draft, so we're talking about almost three weeks ago now, it went running back heavy. Um, in large part because us as experts, you know, you and me, Jim, and others in the industry like to be a little bit safer. That's also why we push weight quarterbacks way lower because we know in our expert drafts, we can get away with that. Now we need a best ball like this, uh, which it feels far more normal than we before. I think there was, what, four running backs in the first 12 or uh, seven or eight running backs. Well, it was eight total pass catchers because Kelsey was included in that mix. Yes, and the first Bijan went twelve, so the first eleven picks only three running backs, and mm -hmm. I think that's notable because, as we said in that serious XM post draft draft, like you said, yes. very running back heavy. It looked like all the preseason buzz might change. This draft is industry heavy that we're in as well. We have Andrew Cooper from Fantasy Alarm. We got um. 
the football geek, uh, Kevin, I can't think of his last name. I wish I could uh, do that right now. Um, Scott Cobe, high stakes player. He's also an industry analyst. Um, Joe and Alan Soslowski, Anthony Servino with Rotowire. Yes. So we've got a number of analysts in here. It was nice to see that maybe this wide receiver heavy first round is going to continue some momentum. And I was wondering, do you feel like that's because of the best ball format? Again, um, when you're doing the expert draft, you guys are operating in the essential, you're, you're playing out the league. Oftentimes that's not the case, but that's that's how people are drafting is if you're playing out the league, you're making roster decisions each and every week. Do you feel like a best ball format where the computer is making all the decisions for you is going to be a little bit different and that's why we saw the wide receivers go so heavy in the first round? Or is it really just going to be the shift in redraft strategy and people haven't caught up to it because we're not in redraft season. It's only mid-May. <laughs> well, I think the Sirius XM draft, it was more more the old-timer, I think, mm. analyst. I think that was it. These are a little more of a younger crew, not me, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's young a younger hard, crew. Yes, yes. <laughs> but um, so yeah. So anyway, I do think that this round is indicative, whether it's best ball or redraft. Very indicative. I think if you have tight end premium, it's different. If it's super flex, obviously it's different. But I think this translates. So I think fantasy managers listening right now, I do think in the majority of your draft, you can expect a wide receiver heavy first round. I think that's going to be like in 70% of drafts, you mm -hmm. always have anomalies. You have like some home leagues that are never going to deviate from norms. There's always different drafts, but I think that's going to be the personality of drafts this year, Joe. I think there are a lot of questions at running back. And as much as I would take Christian McCaffrey at 1.2, we are very shortly removed from two seasons in which he played a total of 10 games. And then Austin Eckler contract strife. You know, we don't know if he's happy. Saquon Barkley, does not really want to play under the tag. Who knows what we'll see there. Bijan never played an NFL game. And as much as I love his talent, his college production did not look like his, his um, athletic measurables. No, that's fair. I know a lot of uh, when you're doing, when you're breaking down a draft, the podcast will post the draft board. We're only five rounds in. I almost feel like it's counterintuitive. It makes us embarrassing as uh, a, a lot of experts out here. I'm, I'm kidding, but um, that I, I don't know if it has to be shared necessarily. But I do want to discuss some of the landing spots. And again, overall strategy is the key. We had talked about last week what to do at quarterback. Um, you and I both made interesting decisions. I think early on at quarterback, I want to talk about at least our thoughts on, on if they played out the way we, we imagined again, the wide receiver heavy in the first round may have also played uh, in, into some things as well too, uh, for myself specifically who, who did not operate as well as I want to in the first round. We'll talk about uh, my, up. I was going to say ramifications. That's not the right word, but uh, my regrets uh, when it comes to how that first round operated too. And, and I think it is key. So, so number one was Jamar Chase. Jefferson was number two. Tyreek Hill, number three. I think all three of those are actually a little bit interesting as, as somebody that's done a few drafts thus far, but not a whole lot of industry ones. But I'm not, I'm not overall surprised that we're seeing those three in some order go one, two, and three. McCaffrey went four. Eckler, five. Travis Kelsey, six. Also, not all that surprising getting in the best ball format, you know, getting an opportunity to partner Travis Kelsey with Mahomes. Really intriguing. Of course, that's what ended up happening uh, with Anthony Severino uh, in the as the first quarterback in the second round, mid-second round. Josh Allen went at the end of the second round. Totally fine with that. We had Jalen Hurts in the third round. Joe Burrow, I took him in the fourth round. And then you actually ended up getting Fields as the fifth quarterback, I think, of that equation in round four. So the, the, there were a lot of high-end quarterbacks going early. Was that kind of what you were anticipating? Again, in this format, 
We have six points per passing touchdown, which is why I value Burrow a little bit more in last week's podcast. I said I won one early. There was a clear line of demarcation for me where after Burrow, I did not want that next tier for quarterbacks, and that included Justin Fields, who ended up taking. So what were your thoughts on how early the quarterback went and the overall strategies and what we discussed last week? Every draft I've been in this offseason has been very heavy on the first eight quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Now, all eight of them went in the fifth by the end of the fifth round. I've seen it go into the sixth, maybe trickling into the seventh for those eight quarterbacks. This is the fastest it's happened. And now it's going to be interesting to see where the next ones go. Because at this point, you've got Trevor Lawrence, you've got Dak Prescott probably missing a name in there, but it's pretty close to the end of what I consider the round where there's a lot more questions and a bigger drop off. The fantasy community has made a statement very loud and clear that they feel the drop off after quarterback eight anywhere after is precipitous. Therefore the premium on getting those quarterbacks is massive. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, and then Tua, probably the the next four in some order. There's Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, Russell Wilson. I, you know, I, I would think there's a clear tier yeah. drop from that. And and I had even remember talking about this with Jake Letarski on the, on the Tuesday for Agent podcast when we were recapping the end of the season, you know, back in January, what were going to be some big takeaways. Again, I thought BJ Robinson was going to be a first-round pick. That clearly is the case, especially if you're drafting with Alan Sazowski, uh, who <laughs> continues to take him as early as he does. But then that everyone was going to overreact to quarterback. And I, at the time, said overreact's probably not the right word, but there are going to be people going high because the difference maker last year was Travis Kelsey, but only one person could have Travis Kelsey. It was the quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Fields for eight, nine weeks of the season were scoring significantly more than any other quarterbacks lower in that period. And I guess you could throw Burrow in there a little bit too, but even like Justin Herbert, who is a more than five, more than fine quarterback, you were talking about a three or four point difference near those top end guys. And I think that's been from what I've seen thus far in drafts that you've done others in the experts uh, community out there that I'm posting them a few, of the best balls I've participated in too. That is the clear difference maker from drafts last year to this year is that there will be no advantage at quarterback unless you are making that active choice to do so. Yes. And so, I, I again, that's the final point. If you don't want to go quarterback early, you will have that pick of the quarterback 10 through 14. You'll even get a couple of them if you want. You'll be able to get those in the ninth, 10th round probably. But um, that's the final point. If you want a quarterback that's one of the top guys, like Joe said, you have to spend. Watch your board. Because Mahomes and Allen are going in a second round this year. That's and then, but it's where the third one goes. That's where you'll start to see how quickly you have to act. And when you set your draft board, I do recommend that you have a listing of each of your positions side by side. I don't do that 150 list. I do each position so I can always see where the drop off is at and which players are left. Because if you want a player at the position, you don't want to get caught by surprise. If you have a top 150 list, it could catch you off guard. Yeah, it's actually interesting. At this point of the year, I, I felt very strongly that podcasts formally about strategy. Again, we're doing this on best ball. Uh, in future weeks, we'll do redraft ones. Alan's got you covered on all dynasty strategy earlier in the week. Mario and John got you covered on every strategy ever uh, throughout later. But like that's that's the focal point right now. I know most people listening to fantasy podcasts right now are operating in that same vein. But my hope is that you could play this podcast end of July, 
uh, beginning of August, and and the same sort of strategy analysis would remain true. And I think, especially for this year, for me, I'm going to be making a tiered draft list. You know, I love our RotoWire uh, custom rankings. It's always been on the magazine that we can have, and that'll be online this year. You can you know, cross off the list. There's something satisfying with that. But having a set of tier rating, tier rankings, T I E R rankings for each position is going to be critical because in my mind, just early on drafting thus far, there has been very obvious tiers. Every single position I've seen, oh yeah, you know, I, I don't want these running backs here. And we'll talk about that later on because I, I literally ran to that position 30 minutes ago when I was looking at the running back spot. Um, and then there's also a point where you're like, all right, I, I, I want to have X amount of position. I'm set at that regard. What's next? Oh, you know, I've already missed the mark on whatever tier. So having that system set up in place for where you believe each spot should go is is wholly important. The ADP is not set yet, Jim. And I, and I know that's the case. And things, especially in our industry, and as we continue to do these podcasts, our analysis gets muddled. And we, we try to stay the best we can away from it. But that's going to be the nature of the beast as we get to end of July and early, uh, early August, that a lot of this information kind of gets uh, coalesced. But Right now, we are setting the ADP, and I think that's really important for the rest of the season when you're listening to these later on or preparing to have a tiered system in place. So um, I want to talk about what you did in the first round. You took Cooper Cup at number eight overall. I had uh, the number 10 pick. Stefan Diggs was in between us. I took Devontae Adams. When I was setting up my um, auto draft board, it was Adams. It was CeeDee Lamb. Uh, it was Bijan Robinson, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry. And I wish I would have done it a little bit in reverse. I would have gotten one of those running backs because I thought overall at pick 10, there was going to be, of those six guys, of those five guys, I was going to get at least two of them that I wanted, right? So I took Devontae Adams there, but a Lamb, a Bijan Robinson, Jonathan Taylor, I was going to end up getting the back end. That didn't work out to be the case. Uh, Alan Sazowski, who has, you know, infinite amount more drafts than us at this point and has a lot more experience, was reading the board correctly, got Bijan Robinson and Jonathan Taylor at the turn at the end of the first round. Derrick Henry went in that first pick of the second round, uh, and, and CeeDee Lamb was there too. So I was forced to take A.G. Brown, which I didn't mind. I actually think there's kind of an end tier at wide receiver. But you ended up getting Garrett Wilson a little bit later on, again, more mid-second round at pick eight. Did you feel like you were having to make an active decision? Cooper Cup, I will take an eight, knowing I'm not going to get a running back, or was the thought that you could get one wrap around at that point in the mid-second round? So I am finding out after a number of drafts, and I've been – pigeonholed in the seven to nine pick in yeah. many drafts. And when I'm there, I, I, I'm clearly ahead of the field on Cooper Cup this year because I talked to Alan Soslowski, who's like, again, in a million drafts. And he says that Cup is commonly going 11, 12. And I have him ranked way higher than that. I have Cooper Cup as my third receiver on the board. And so I am gladly going with him. But clearly, again, the, the industry and the fantasy community doesn't feel that way. Cooper Cup is nearing 30. But last year, his injury was not one that's this chronic type of thing. It's not a repetitive type of thing. Would he break an ankle? Uh, you know, so that's not one that I'm going to see as repeatable. And the Rams were just shredded at offensive line last year. The injuries were just horrific. They were at, at one point, it was almost all second stringers playing. The line is in better shape. And they spent a second round pick on the on a line this year as well, a guard. And so that was solid. But the guys they bring back, they're not bad. And Stafford, who knows how long he holds up, but if he has protection, you know right away, Sean McVay is going to make sure that Stafford is getting the ball out quickly. There's going to be a quick strike offense. Cooper Cup cannot 
be stopped. He runs choice routes. Matthew Stafford's on the same page. Before the, if the defenders leverage one way, Cooper Cup goes against it, and the ball is immediately there. He is unstoppable. The amount of catches he gets will be extremely heavy. Now, maybe the yardage after the catch won't be crazy. He's not putting up the season he had two years ago. That was a, a season for the ages. Right. But 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns, yes, that is not a problem that's literally in his sleep. And so I don't see a lot of risk with Cooper Cup because, again, the injury history is not a long one for him. Yeah, I, I completely see. But my, my question more so is, all right, Cup there, and I took Devontae Adams at 10 with the same assumption. I think in hindsight, I'm taking Jonathan Allen at 10 and assuming I will get an A.J. Brown. I, I don't think Adams makes it to 14 or 13 or whatever it was. No. Uh, I guess I'm doing my math. Yeah, 15. Sorry. I, no. but I, th that, that would be my hope is that I'm going to get an A.J. Brown who probably is still there um, anyway if I take Jonathan Taylor early on. So when you were taking Cup at 8, was it the idea that I'm, I'm likely going to get a running back uh, on my next pick? Nick Chubb went right before you. The next running back taken afterwards was Josh Jacobs at the end of the second round along with Tony Pollard. Like It was kind of a string of wide receivers and quarterbacks. Or was it Cooper Cup every single time that production is locked in and I'll figure it out after that? So actually, when I was talking to Alan Soslowski after making that pick, I said I have too many Cooper Cup shares. So I said in the next draft <laughs> I have, I'm just going to put the – because I have him and Devontae Adams back-to-back. -back. Hmm. So in my next draft where I'm in that draft spot, I'm automatically taking Adams because I just want to diversify. I don't want to have – if I'm picking in that range, I don't be 80% invested in Cooper, any one player. I want to diversify that. So obviously there's a number of – Beautiful players. Uh, Stefan Diggs could even be in that equation as well. So I will diversify. So Cooper Cup, though, if I'm doing one draft, yes, if I'm at the eight, nine, and he's there, that's a hundred percent. But if you're doing numbers of drafts, any any receiver in that bucket of Adams, Diggs, and Cooper Cup are absolutely fine and excellent choice at that point. Now you mentioned the end of the tier with AJ Brown, and in my second round where I went with Garrett Wilson. I was ready to take A.J. Brown or Nick Chubb at that point. Mm. I, Nick Chubb is the one running back I would have taken. And actually, I had him lower in my rankings about three or four weeks ago. But I'm realizing right now that this Browns team could be a juggernaut this year. They had Zadarius Smith. And they already had Okoronkwo that they picked up at Delvin Tomlinson. Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith. This could be one of the most lethal pass rush duos we have ever, ever, ever seen. And you bring Okoronkwo in there as well, who's a phenomenal pass rusher, who's in a bad situation in Houston. Tomlinson could bring heat from the inside. Their corners can cover. But what, where's my point? My point is, defensively, they could be playing with some leads. And if they are, Nick Chubb, who's the backup, right? Jerome Ford, that's it. Right. It's not Kareem Hunt anymore. So Jerome Ford, and we don't know what he is. This could be the year where we see Nick Chubb over 20 carries a game. And with Deshaun Watson, who I think, again, you've heard me say this, the speed of the game, I think that comes back this year. They could run three receiver sets with a good excellent offensive line Nick Chubb for the first time in his career could be running and not seeing stacked boxes every single time that is a scary scary proposition Nick Chubb is sailing up my draft board because I think he's got a career year here yeah that's a really good point um and and the the big deal people will talk about with Nick Chubb is the 
carries that theoretically will go to him with Kareem Hunt gone. I don't even know if it's so much. I agree with you that he could get more carries, but there's still too many veteran running backs around that could easily sign. And I know they're not going to bring back Kareem Hunt, although they've mentioned they could. I don't I don't feel like that marriage is, is going to happen anymore. No. Um, I, I think Jerome Ford will get more carries, but not to the extent. It's Kareem Hunt and his touchdown vulturing ways that I think actually is really key here. So even if Nick yeah. Chubb isn't averaging 20 carries a game, which I agree he has the possibility, who else are they really focusing on in the red zone? This is not Deshaun Watson, Jalen Hurts, where let's do a QB sneak for three yards and score every time. There's no read option plays that I don't think you're successfully or effectively doing. Nick Chubb is going to be your primary guy in the same way that Austin Eckler is used for the Chargers. And oh, by the way, there aren't as many contract issues with Nick Chubb as there would be for Austin Eckler, even though the offense might just be as uniquely uh, impactful. Now, from a PPI perspective, Eckler has his value. Great. Like, I get that. Um, there's no reason. But Eckler went five, one, 1.5 for a reason. And it's like we're kind of ignoring that with Nick Chubb. So, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I had considered him as well, too. But I wanted to have a receiver to fit with what we were talking about last week going heavy in that draft strategy. Um, I took Joe Burrow in the third round. And again, Jalen Hurt. It went Mahomes mid-second, Josh Allen end of second, and then Jalen Hurts mid-third round. I had Burrow actually ranked in my ADP higher than Hurts based off that six points for passing touchdown. Although I would have been totally fine getting Jalen Hurts at that level because I felt like there was a tear drop at the quarterback. You took fields in the uh middle to beginning of the fourth round. Hawkinson went right before you. I took Jameer Gibbs as well, top of the little bit later on as well. So the, the quarterbacks, is it really a five quarterback tier for you? Or did you want to make sure that you at least got something you felt comfortable with uh, at Justin Fields, as opposed to Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, or Herbert, who all went in the fifth round? Yeah, as we talked about earlier, I am trying to get a top eight quarterback. Now I have a fail safe. If I miss out on those first five, Deshaun Watson's my failsafe. Now, he went earlier. He went before Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert. Uh, Randy Malik, friend of mine uh, who I've known for a few years, not an industry analyst, but a very good fantasy player, took him there. I don't think Watson is frequently going before them, but he's my failsafe. But honestly, I have Justin Fields just below the trio of Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Jalen Hurts. And Justin Fields could easily score with any of them. The rushing production is real. The Bears were running an archaic offense for almost six weeks last year, and then they started to open up a little bit. However, the Bears had no weapons. And then we got to believe week 12, and Darnell Mooney got hurt, so they had bottom-of-the-barrel receivers. But the Bears are going to open up that offense this year. Fields can run. He has weapons. I mean, D.J. Moore – Whatever you think you know about DJ Moore, he's had horrible quarterback play in his career. He is a legitimate alpha number one receiver in the NFL. He can beat you over the top with the ball in his hands. He's a running back. He is a lethal receiver. Now you move Darnell Mooney with his just barely over 4-3 speed, uh, like 4-3-4 speed, and you put him into a number two role. We saw two years ago, Mooney was the number one, and he was producing at a high level. You put him as a number two. Cole Komet, 
underrated. As a tight end, he has very good chemistry with Fields. Fields has weapons now. And again, with that running element and the Bears invested, they invested a first-round pick, another tackle mm -hmm. to go with Braxton Jones. I do believe that Fields, according to the coaching staff, and I know it's preseason talk, but they say he's exponentially better with the offense this year because he's had reps, because he has players. This is going to be a season where Justin Fields has the potential to blow up in a huge way. Yeah, and we talked about um, on the post-draft, or I guess the live draft show, that this was an investment for, for Justin Fields and was going to be, I think, one of the biggest fantasy impact moves that wasn't a skill position guy going there, along with the Steelers drafting their tackle, trading in front of the Jets to do the same thing, which boosted the stats for Najee Harris, in my mind. And I think the same it's the same sort of concept. And look at all the different things the Bears did over the past 12 months again, Chase Claypool, even that was a, a, a shot of confidence for Justin Fields getting DJ Moore as well too. the offense. I mean, they are, they are committed to making the Justin Fields experience work. Uh, and I think that's a really important factor for it too. So, uh, sorry, do you have another? You have I would, yeah. Point? You brought up Chase Claypool and I know he's not going to get drafted until way, way later. I want fantasy managers to understand this. Chase Claypool may not turn into much, but don't bail on him just yet because when a receiver gets traded during the season, unless he is a elite of the elite, they do not acclimate well at all. So Chase Claypool, and in that specific offense that we're running, he never had a chance last year. Now, again, I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, the world beater, but he'll get a full training camp. He is not going to see a whole lot of attention. We've already seen him. We can function as a big slot. He did that in Pittsburgh, Darnell mm -hmm. Mooney, and he could be interchangeable between the slot and the outside. If the bears do dial up the pass, Claypool will at least be in position to do something. Now he'll be a late pick. And I think that makes him a good lottery ticket. And again, I'm going to repeat, I'm not saying he's a world beater, but he does deserve a chance and he may show us more than he has. Yeah. I'll be really curious. This is a 20 round best ball. Unlike the 18 and 17 that you do for underdogs. I'd be curious how that kind of all shapes out. And we've talked about late round guys under the assumption it's 18 rounds last week and 17 rounds. Those might be people we have to consider uh, in a best ball form. We'll talk about more what our post draft strategy is going to be. I know that um, you know it's there's not a lot of stakes on the line for this, so I'm I'm comfortable revealing some of the strategies that I'm planning out. But you know, if you're listening to this and uh, you want to get the scoop, fair play. You know, I, I get that. We're, we're doing this for content at the end of the day, uh, even though I want to win the best uh, we can. And you know who else wants to win? Circa Sports. Uh, it's the ultimate fantasy football draft that can only take place in Las Vegas. Circa Resort and Casino wants to bring your whole league to Vegas with the ultimate fantasy football experience giveaway. Bring your 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circa Resort and have your draft at the Cabana Stadium Swim Spot, plus limo transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest uh, sports book, and more. It's a prize package valued at over $8,000 at Circa Sports to giving away. There's no better place to draft in circa 21 years and up go to circa lasvegas.com for more information it's the ultimate fantasy football draft that can only take place in las vegas circa resort and casino wants to bring your fantasy league again to vegas for that experience uh go to circa c-i-r-c-a las vegas 
Vegas.com for more information. It's also where the Rotoware crew is, is doing their Las Vegas uh, retreat this July. I know uh, Jim and I can't wait. We'll be doing live drafts, plenty of content uh, on Jim's TikTok, if nothing else, uh, yeah. on Rotoware as well, too. You know, uh, the, the gym experience at Circa Sports is always the best experience when it comes to getting your fantasy analysis from the most truthful and uh, I don't know what's the best way of saying it. Um, the most planned and prepared that you could possibly get Jim to be and most on the cuff too uh, from Circus Sports. So I'm looking forward to that. I know you are, are too, Jim. It's going to be a blast at the Circa. And like Joe told you in the promo, definitely try this because if you win this, you are going to have an incredible time at the Circa. We love the Circa. And again, like Joe said, there's going to be plenty of content from there. I'm going to be filming TikToks that I'll be posting well after we return, but it's going to be a blast. And we'll get Joe Bartle in some of those TikToks too. <laughs> I don't think the audience is ready to have me participate in the TikToks. Like I said, the, the gym experience at Circa is one to uh, one to enjoy all on its own. So yeah, the, the sports book part of things, I know that was kind of like a we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A side part in the, in the pack itself was really cool. One of, one of my biggest takeaways, I've been to Circa, uh, I think that was twice at that point in my life last year, I love that the swim bar is the swim area where you can see all the big screen. If you haven't been there and you and you like sports, there is not a better place than I than I would recommend. We're going to say that all summer. I'm going to recommend it all summer. I'm going to I'm standing by. You know, I, I love that place, especially in Vegas. Uh, Circus got our back. We, we love what they do there. So let's get back to the the draft itself. We talk about the quarterback strategy. We talk about the wide receivers going heavy early on. Was there um, any surprise? Reach is not the right word because again. 
we're kind of making the ADP right now as experts and people are participating in these drafts early on. But was there any like strategies over that you've seen from the, from people that go against what we were discussing or uh, a different viewpoint? Like how have you seen the totality of a league operate this far? Here is what is very interesting. Only two of the 12 teams came out of the first two rounds with two running backs. That's a rarity. Now, obviously, when you only have four being drafted in the first round, the, the, the maximum is going to be four. But still, in drafts that we've seen, you would usually come out with five, six teams with a pair of running backs. Not the case. Likely going to be that this way going forward. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that I prefer, again, I would have taken Nick Chubb, but I'm frequently going receiver, receiver, and I'm comfortable with some of the running backs who are falling. Now, I'm obviously higher than the community on some, but remember, the extra quarterbacks that are being drafted earlier, they are also a few more picks that are pushing the running backs down a little bit more. Receiver heavy, push them down a bit more. I've been getting Aaron Jones in the third or fourth round. A lot of people don't buy into him. Look, he's still 28. He did take the lead job until he dealt with some injuries late in the season. And A.J. Dillon, that was why he saw the late season usage. It had already been done deal. Aaron Jones is going to get heavy usage. He is an elite player. And we saw Dylan was not as good last year. He was in prior years. There was a clear delineation of them. Other players who are going a little bit later at running back. And again, these are like fifth round picks. These are players as a running back to a late running back to J.K. Dobbins, James Conner, Miles Sanders, DeAndre Swift. To me, when you're going receiver heavy early, these are very acceptable running back twos. And here's the thing. I'm I'm obviously going to be overexposed to James James Conner, and I'm clearly ahead of the field on him. James Conner, on a points-per-game basis at running back, has been the RB9 in each of the last two years. Now, he misses, usually it's two to four games a year, but most running backs are missing time. I think people are overblowing the amount of time Conner misses. And Last year, that offense was not functional down the stretch. No Kyler Murray, yet James Conner was playing 93-plus percent of the snaps, getting it done every week, and they have nobody on that depth chart. Corey Clement, Keontae Ingram, who is terrible. James Conner is going to continue to see an incredible amount of snaps. We know he's a beast when they get in the red zone. We know he can catch the ball. Last year, I think it was the second most catches of his career. Mm. He is an excellent football player, and he's going to miss some games. So you want to make sure you get a running back or two or three later. But when he's on the field, and last season he started a little slow. I think he was dinged up coming into the year, but he was fine by the end of the year. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we're uh, we are a, a cross sport podcast through and through, in the sense that you and I are very lean in other information out there. We just got done watching the NBA have the uh, the tank for Wembanyama's sweepstakes. The Spurs get the number one overall pick. We are entering a phase that I think we haven't seen in quite some time. People did the tank for Andrew Luck thing; that was very clear. People also did the tank for Trevor Lawrence thing. We are going to have a tank for uh, Caleb Williams' scenario by all accounts right now. I don't know if he's quite the generational, generational prospect that Trevor Lawrence or Andrew Luck are, but there is certainly the hype around that narrative occurring right now. The Cardinals are going to be in that, in that sweepstakes. They are going to be competing 
uh, I put that in quotes, competing for the number one overall pick. They have to be one of the worst teams, uh, I think, just talent perspective that we've seen this year. And it feels like they haven't really made many active choices to get a whole lot better. So going after a guy like James Conner on one of the worst offenses, it's a hard it's a hard swallow for me. But you kind of pointed out, I mean, he still produced even when Kyler Murray wasn't there. And Kyler Murray probably won't be there to start the season. There's a possibility they could return uh, at some point, especially if the Cardinals are performing better than someone expect. I don't know if they're going to have a whole lot of defense, but if they don't have defense, they might be passing to James Conner more as well, yes, too. Yes. There, there is that point. The other team that I, I really believe is in that same contention is uh, the Rams, who it's ironic took Cooper Cup as well, too. So you might be committed to the tanking for uh, Caleb Williams' teams. That's what we're learning about you thus far in early draft seasons. You're all aboard the teams that might stink and still have guys to produce like Cooper Cup and James Conner. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, final word on Connor. He is a true three down back. He had a garbage offensive line the last two years. And like I said, per game, running back nine. The offensive line, they invested a first round pick in their line. It's the sixth pick, I believe. And they are fourth rounder. And, you know, bad as their line is, they at least have some players returning so maybe a little chemistry i'm not saying it's gonna be a very good line but it can't be worse than what he's had and he's done it with that so yes damian pierce you know he's a guy that's going in this bucket too he just went in the sixth round these are guys again if you're going receiver heavy early you're going to get a running back too that is palatable and i think that's all you're looking for in the pierce one i don't i don't get it all we'll we'll talk about like overall like player specific su- surprises i i don't understand the love for him whatsoever after they signed both Devin Singletary, they have Mike Boone, they still have Dari Gumbawale. Like the, uh, we'll get to Damian Pierce in a second because that's that's going to be the guy that uh, I just am, I'm going to have zero shares of for the entire year, and that, that's okay. Even though I was fine with him last year, we're talking about a significant difference. The like the overall plan. So okay, we had last week mentioned quarterbacks are going to probably go high. What do you want to do with that? You have to answer that question, and then what are you going to do either at receiver or running back in the first two rounds, and how it's going to shape things. I went Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown at pick 10, so you know more or less back-to-back. It was that uh, pick overall 30 through 34 range that I think is really interesting. And if you're saying, all right, Joe, you, you could pick wherever you want to pick, I know that number three, four, five hole isn't super lucrative because there is a lot of, oh, should I take Christian McCaffrey? Do I take one of these receivers that might fall? Tyree Kill, you know, he sometimes gets hurt as well, too. Is two going to be fine? Like, there's there's a lot of indecision. You don't want to have that with your number five or four or three. You don't want a high first-round pick to have that kind of concern. But I think it's that wraparound beginning of the third-round range that has, like, a drop-off of player tier that I like. So, Ramondre Stevenson won't begin in the third round. Fine. I like Travis Etienne a lot. I would take him around that spot, too. Joe Mixon, I'm not going anywhere near this year. That's, that's okay. Uh, he won their T Higgins quality receiver. I was considering him instead of AJ Brown because I knew I was going to try to put together a Bengals stack. That wasn't going to ever happen. I like AJ Brown more, but defensible third round. Then there's Nasha Harris. Then there's Brees Hall, two guys that if we're doing this in a year where running backs didn't hurt us and quarterbacks aren't going high, those are easy mid second round, if not late first round guys in Nasha Harris and Brees Hall. And yet you have them in the mid third round. Aaron Jones, like you mentioned as well, too. I don't want Kenneth Walker after the Zach Charbonnet selection, but again, defensible. It's that 30 through 36 range that I think has a lot of value to it. Unfortunately for me, it felt like the drop-off happened quickly after you had Aaron Jones at your pick at uh, 3-8. Then there's Kenneth Walker, Joe Burrow, Debo Samuel, Chris Olave, DK Metcalf, Mark Andrews. Like that, that feels like a sizable tier jump, whether it be position or otherwise. That 30 to 36 and then 38 through 42 or whatever that you're kind of falling up. Do you agree with that assessment? 
Yeah, I do think that range of the draft is solid. When you talked about ranges of the draft to pick in, where you pick 10 and then 11 and 12, I honestly think those are wonderful places to pick again mm. this year. The, I mean, listen to these pairings at 10, 11, 12. Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, Derrick Henry, B. John Robinson, Jonathan Taylor. That Those are amazing pairs of players. Now, I'm at eight. And I got Cooper Cup and Garrett Wilson. Now, I took Garrett Wilson. I'm going to just take a guy. Now, I know you're talking 30 and on. But I took Garrett Wilson ahead of Jalen Waddell, ahead mm -hmm. of Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, and for me, obviously, ahead of Devontae Smith. Garrett Wilson, there's a little speculation. But he had, like, no quarterback play. And he was, like, 1,100-plus yards last year. Aaron Rodgers, we know he'll lock on a clear number one. And he is as clear of a number one as there is. <laughs> so, again, that's a speculative play. But I do see that coming up. But as you mentioned, though, I do think like that end of the first round, optimal draft spot is there. You mentioned those teams in the beginning. When you look at the first three rounds, Jamar Chase, Josh Allen, Ramondre Stevenson, okay enough, right? Um, Jefferson, Pollard, ETN. I mean, I guess that end as well too, right? So, I mean, the ends look good. The ends really do look good. Yeah, that's, that is that is a good point that the ends are kind of uh, at a good spot. I, I like – I love that Najee Harris, Brees Hall, Aaron Jones, ETN range of running backs. And, and if I can get my running back one from there, I feel completely fine. Much in the same way last year that I felt fine getting my running back two and fifth or sixth round with Elijah Mitchell and, you know, Alan Sozowski's favorite guy, Ezekiel Elliott. Like, I know that one didn't work out, but that, that was the right idea with how the board ended up playing. This is, it's the same kind of concept for me. It's like, oh yeah, this, this range of running backs, totally fine getting my running back one from it's just you have to be in that right range. And again, I was at pick 10. I'm like, I don't I don't want uh, Jameer Gibbs or Delvin Cook or Cam Akers. Those were the next running backs taken after Kenneth Walker. And I was the one who took Jameer Gibbs, and I wasn't feeling good about him in the fourth round, much less in that third round spot. So it, there is a clear divide, I think, specifically at the position, but at running back, if you're not getting your running back one in that same tier. And this is going to be key, and I mentioned it only because underdog, you probably could have Aaron Jones or Brees Hall and Najee Harris fall to that end of the third round. You could plan for that to occur. End of July, early August, when you're doing your redraft with your friends and family league and they're only looking off the custom rankings and not off of tiers system that you're making, might not be the same case. So just keep that in mind, different formats, different plays, what might be there. I did take Javier Gibbs in round four. We had Bijan Robinson go in the first round. Those are the only two rookies, I think, that I've seen. There's been no other, none of the receivers, obviously none of the quarterbacks as well, too. Um, I like Jameer Gibbs in the fourth round from a PPR perspective. That that made sense to me. I'll take him over Delvin Cook every time. I have no idea why Cam Akers is going as high as he is right now. Again, for the Rams in the tank for Caleb Williams uh, sweepstakes, I don't want anything to do with bad running backs and bad offenses. Uh, we can argue about James Conner, but you still got him 12 picks later. I, I, and and Conner yeah. catches the ball. Cam Akers does not. Fifth round, too. Uh, yeah. Um, DeAndre Swift was another interesting one, too, and I thought about him over Jameer Gibbs. I thought there's more potential with Gibbs in that sense, but I'm fine with DeAndre Swift. Miles Sanders in round five. Swift and Sanders were taken before Connor, um, which you end up having. And I took J.K. Dobbins in the fifth round to get my running back one and two back-to-back. -back. There does feel like there's a drop-off at running back. And if I was to do this over again, instead of Devontae Adams in round one, which I'm fine with, I might have wanted to take in Jonathan Taylor or B. John Robinson, knowing that I will lock myself into one of these top 20 running backs and not have to chance that Aaron Jones or Najee Harris or Priest Hall fall to me in the third round because they didn't in this scenario. Yeah, as I'm looking at your draft, you took Joe Burrow in the third, but the only running backs, I mean, 
you took Gibbs on the wraparound there, right. and what else is left? So honestly, where you went, I think it was fine. And Gibbs in the fourth round, how do you argue with it? I mean, I still think David Montgomery gets the majority of the early now carries, but Gibbs as a receiver, you know, we've seen plenty of receiving backs do extremely well in that role. So where you got him and you're set at receiver and quarterback, yeah, I think that ends up being a good upside play there. And who knows, maybe he gets more carries than I think he'll get. But regardless, uh, and you mentioned this before, Delvin Cook, I mean, it's probable that he's getting let go. All the buzz right. for a couple of months has been they're letting go. And, and I don't know how many teams are going to be ringing his phone off the hook. He's Just gonna the Dolphins. Right. Well, if he goes there, that'd be a great landing spot. But eight chains there, right? And I, I guess well, he would easily go past Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert. So that so there might be that. I'll pause you. Like I, if he gets cut, and I think it's not um, if, but more like when. But we're yes. going to act as if if he gets cut. I don't think there are many other teams that would consider him. You know, you could do some really sexy things with the Browns if you were say, hey, Delman Cook and uh, Nick Chubb. If we really want to be committed to running the ball is still the most important thing. There, there could be better. You're, you're, you could talk yourself into you're saving Delvin Cook's knees. Uh, if you're doing that, and you're also saving Nick Chubb, but you're still making your offense. But like, there's places that you could do, but when you have really cheap options like Ezekiel Elliott and Kareem Hunt, and there are others still on the market, the only teams that are committing to Delvin Cook are the teams that are going to be committed to him as the top option offensively. And the Dolphins are the one that have been rumored and, and certainly seem to be sniffing around that notion. I think they they believe the Dolphins believe the combo of Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert, Devin Ochni, uh, like those three, they can do enough of a job from a backfield perspective to take the workload away from Delvin Cook. So if you're under the assumption and, and his ADP on on this system here was I think forty or forty two, like he went way lower than where their uh, like base draft board ADP is. If you're drafting Delvin Cook with the assumption that he's going to get cut by the Vikings and then go to the Dolphins. And that will make him a mid-second round guy. I would not at all be considering. It was almost like a we're factoring that into Delvin Cook's ADP. And I just, I'm not at all considering where he's going right now. Again, ours is a little bit different. We 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 faded Delvin Cook collectively as a group, but I imagine people just going off of their ADPs and whatever else in different platforms, they might not be and thinking, oh, if he gets cut by the Dolphins, it'd be great. No, I'm I'm staying away from Delvin Cook where his current ADP is right now. Delvin Cook showed a clear drop-off last year. The Vikings actually had an outstanding run-blocking line, and yet Cook had a career-low 4.4 yards per carry. And even though he was in the 64th percentile in breaking tackles, he couldn't turn it into yards. His yardage after contact was only 49th percentile. This is for a guy that made his living with yards after contact. So he is not the player he was, and he ended the season very slowly 42 or fewer rush yards in four of his last seven games so he was a guy who was clearly trending down and there I am not convinced that he goes in to the offensive system in Miami that comes from San Francisco I don't know that he's a fit for that and at this stage of his career making hard cuts going backwards I don't think Dalvin Cook's that guy and so I'm not excited about if he goes to Miami because and again he lost more than a step last year. He's in his age 28 season, and I know a lot of people think 30s the fall off, but decline begins after 26 at smaller mm -hmm. levels. But for him, I think it's, his sign is coming a little bit early. 
Yeah, that was the other big takeaway. So again, quarterbacks going high. What are you going to do with that? The receivers going in the first round. The other other two takeaways that I really had were there were some obvious pitfalls at their ADPs right now that I want nothing to do with. So Delvin Cook is one of them. I mentioned Cam Akers real briefly as well, too. I, I, I will not ever be drafting Cam Akers in the first four rounds on our Rams team that I think wins more than three games this year. You know, I'll take I'll take the under at that point. I know they have Aaron Donald. I know they have Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. They invest in their offense line fine. I, I'm I'm very convinced that is not a very good football team. Uh, and and if you are listening to this podcast, you would be somebody that knows football right now while you're listening. See if you can name more than three defensive players. I, like I, you have Oof. to look at the depth chart and really, Oof. it's hard. It is hard to name more than three, especially if you take out Aaron Donald. Like that, that's just not that is not a good football team, and they're no. expecting a lot of less needs, fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks. To make a difference, fine. There's a reason they're going, they're being drafted that way. It's because they weren't viewed by the rest of the league as being very talented. So that's that's the defense for the Rams starting this year. Uh, I don't want anything to do with where Cam Akers is going. Going. I also don't want to really draft. Uh, not it wasn't. Uh, sorry, I mentioned Damian Pierce as well too, who just got taken off the board in the sixth round. So there's there's a really clear landmine. While I like a lot of these running backs in round three specifically, and maybe fall into round four. It's after that point where I'm like, I, I want to cut ties altogether, nothing new. I took the two guys that I liked the most, Jameer Gibbs and J.K. Dobbins, around four and five. But if I'm to do this over again, I'm getting at least one in the first two rounds, first three rounds. Uh, and I will sacrifice the depth of wide receiver, even though I don't like a lot of these guys. We could talk about that too, possibly uh, round six and later. It's that running back group that are just, there's so many right now obvious landmines from their ADP that I will never be touching if they're going at this high. Yeah, I mean, the landmines start early, and as you mentioned, they continue on. And I guess no need to micro-assess all these running backs right now. But that's the thing. When you're taking him in the fifth or so round, you're going. there are going to be big warts on the players. It's just the nature of the way it has to go. You know, And, and it really is – it sounds obvious, but when you begin, it starts out the players at the top have the least warts, and the more you go, it's the more and more warts, and, and that's – totally what it is and you see that with each player you name i could give you more an extra downside point as we go with each player down the board and so that's it and it's just a matter of which player a fantasy manager feels he can make he or she can make the case for the upside on that given player and then that's the one you hit your wagon to right. you know among the things so but there's narrative you have to paint narrative in you know, Miles Sanders is the interesting one. I mean, Miles Sanders is falling too far because he was not used as a receiver last year, like at all. And rookie season, I believe he caught close to 50 passes. And Carolina is on record. They want him back in as a receiving back and a running back. I think he's a legit three down back. He was a very good receiver. I think he's getting drafted as if, you know, he's the part-time guy in Philadelphia who's getting some early down work and he's off the field in the red zone a lot sometimes and off the field on passing downs. That's not the case here. And the offensive line of Carolina is good. So it's not like it's a garbage line. And and I know that they're going to see some stack boxes, but Miles Sanders is a really good running back. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I hadn't, I hadn't really considered my, I would still take Gibbs and Dobbins over, um, over Sanders, but Absolutely, especially that they have went on record, like you said, and talked about how they want to involve in the passing game. And that's not off from what we saw last year. I know it's a whole different coaching regime, so it's hard to take away too much from. But Chuba Hubbard 
was being used as as the runner of that group. He wasn't really the receiver. Raheem Blackshear, they could be in that group. He's, he's a lot smaller. Maybe they just don't want to do that altogether. So I think Miles Sanders, as a three-down back, and the way they paid him as well, too, absolutely. People, people will say, okay, well, Joe, if you don't like the Rams and Cardinals offense, then you shouldn't like uh, Miles Sanders either. I will gladly take the over on Panthers wins relative to either the Cardinals or Rams, and I don't think it's very close. I've been on record saying I don't like Bryce Young, uh, and I don't think he's going to be truly the number one overall pick. That's a good enough team in a pretty bad division, and Miles Sanders, if he's being used as a three-down back, is of the similar vein to James Conner in that sense too, and I, and I will take both of those begrudgingly over a Damian Pierce, over a Cam Akers altogether. So um, definitely, definitely interesting from those like round four through six running backs. The other key point that I at least want, at least want to mention, and I was kind of prepared for this, but it, it's worth reiterating when we're talking best ball strategy, just four tight ends in the first round, five rounds. And it took the very last pick of the fifth round to get that fourth one in George Kittle off the board. Um, we talked about a little bit last week that, Okay, Travis Kelsey, first round pick or or thereabouts, then Mark Andrews, then TJ Hawkinson and Kittle, and Kyle Pitts will be included in that at some point in the near future too. After that, it's like, I don't know, what do you do? You mentioned Darren Waller, you've been taking him quite a bit in the underdog leagues. Fine. But even Darren Waller, then what do you do? And it, it's it really is kind of gross. You can throw in a Dallas Goddard to the world, fine enough. Uh I'm I'm just like reading off it's Kyle Pitts, got Kyle Pitts, Goddard, Darren Waller, Evan Ingram, Firemuth. And I'm like, oh, well, normally I like to have a tight end uh, by round five or six in, in years past. I'm looking at the group like, ew, God, I, I, I've been burned by Kittle too many times. I'm not doing that. No way. I think I'm just going to be committed to just taking scrap heap tight ends and, and just rolling with it every week because 11 people are going to be at a disadvantage to the Travis Kelsey roster and you're paying a premium to get Travis Kelsey. So what does it make a difference if I'm playing roulette and hoping uh, David Njoku catches a touchdown and therefore I, I have tight end six fantasy viability that week. Am, am I right with that assumption? Because it seems like the rest of the league is operating under that same pretense too. Yeah, the tight ends are falling a bit. You mentioned Kittle. He is a faller compared to the past. Mm-hmm. And he actually was one of his best versions of himself. So he had his huge year a few years ago. Last year, when they brought in McCaffrey, he was getting better usage. Defenses had to approach them differently. And though the targets weren't high, but the efficiency was through the roof. And I think this offense is going to be better than ever. But like you said, I if Kittle falls enough, and if Alan Soslowski didn't take him at the 5-6 turn, I would have taken him in the sixth round and not thought twice about it. Because mm-hmm. to me, that is ground value for George Kittle. And we're going to have those bad games. We already know that. As you mentioned, though, I am very happy letting tight ends fall. I, I We'll take a flyer on Waller if he goes to the seventh or eighth round. But if we're waiting, like you said, Joe, I don't mind trying Cole Komet. As I said earlier, if the Bears are going to throw more, he's going to be open in the middle of the field a lot. They have speed with DJ Moore and Darnell Mooney. And with an indecisiveness that Justin Fields creates for defenses, there's going to be a lot of openings in the middle of the field. But even better, Chiggy Okonkwo. He legitimately could be the number two receiver at Tennessee. And I know they don't want to throw a lot, but regardless, they're going to throw some. And it right now, Ryan Tannehill is still the starter. And I, we saw Conquo win in the middle. We saw him win detached on the outside. I think he's a real weapon and a player who could become a very functional part of the offense. It's all, The team's already gone on record saying he is going to see a lot more snaps than the 35 he was seeing last year. Juwan Johnson. 
He had a bunch of 50-yard games last year. He was a converted college wide receiver. He was always going to be on the three-year learning curve. He started getting there. Derek Carr is a good quarterback to have for your tight end. Now, he might throw that medicine ball and get you get your ribs taken out. But for the most part, Juwan Johnson is a potential weapon. So if you're waiting late on tight end, and then if you're waiting really late, look, I know people have given up on Irv Smith and probably rightfully so. And I get yeah, I haven't. You know I haven't. <laughs> but look, he's in Cincinnati. And you've got Jamar Chase. You've got T. Higgins. You even got Tyler Boyd. Defenses have no time to deal with a tight end. And we saw Hayden Hurst just walking in the middle of the field open. Irv Smith is going to walk into this offense with Joe Burrow, and there's going to be a lot of open looks. And I think they're going to throw pretty heavily this year. So, again, just some good dart throws to think about. Yeah, and I'll I'll throw in Hayden Hurst. I know you're not as much of a fan for him, but it's the same concept. And I and I, I still think the Panthers' offense is going to be better than we anticipate, even if it's everyone's assuming they're going to be last place and it's their like fifth last. They're going to be better than we're when we're kind of working with. No, I, Irv Smith is is going to be one of my favorites. I can almost guarantee you, I'm going to get him. Uh, and I know we're in a draft full of experts. I will take him well before his ADP because at that point, when you're discussing tight end 25 through tight end 16 there isn't a big difference. And there might be one guy that you think can jump through and you're committed to, but it's not going to cost you a lot. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty committed to the idea that tight end will just be something I'm punting in most drafts. And if I have to roulette uh, one week or I have to try to find whatever next year's version of, of Pat Fryermuth is, fine. You know, that, that's, that's kind of more or less what my, my concept is for this. So it was interesting to see some of our strategies play out, specifically my idea of I want to have two wide receivers in the first two rounds oh, wait, now I'm kind of left with having to take DeAndre Swift and Jameer Gibbs because I also want early quarterback. You know, we, we mentioned these things. We, we, we talked about the plan for it, but you have to have it, everything work out of place. And sometimes it just doesn't. So I think in future drafts, um, getting at least one will be my takeaway in the first three rounds. And if that means I'm, I'm eschewing quarterback or I'm eschewing some of the depth, the high-end depth, I like it, receiver, fine, so be it. Um, and then also continuing on with the punt on tight end strategy will be my kind of a focal point. So we're only in round six on this. Uh, I'm sure we'll be tweeting out different uh, analysis for it and other plans of, you know, oh, I wish I would have done this thing for, for future days and weeks to come. But just to play out what we had discussed last week, uh, I thought was really important. So that does it for us on the uh, Wednesday edition of the World War NFL podcast brought to you by Circus Sports. Next week, we're diving into, I know it's early. We're diving in a little bit of redraft strategy, and specifically, Jim, you have the Beat Jim Coventry NFFC Rotoway Online Championship coming up at the end of May. There are still open spots to participate in that right now if you think you can beat Jim, but this is gearing you up because you have the end of May draft. You'll have the, the Kings Classic starting as well, too, with the beginning of uh, preseason, wrapping around uh, for the Hall of Fame game, stuff like that. So there, there's a lot of the high premium drafts that you're doing. I want to pick your brain a little bit because you've done a lot of practice, a lot of preparation with these underdogs. Let's put to the test. So redraft strategy next week, outlining how your uh, NFFC draft is went at the end of the month too. And we'll go from there. So uh, any other words you want to discuss before we head out? No, if you want to join me in that beat Jim Coventry, then go to my Twitter page at Jim Coventry. And if I pinned it to my profile, it gives you the link to get there. Love to have you join signing up. Make sure you're following Joe Bartle at JB fantasy sports as well. Appreciate that. Appreciate for hanging with us. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Again, next week, redraft strategy, getting you set either at high end ones or 
even your friends and family, it's never too early to talk redraft. So we'll be doing that next week. Thanks everyone for listening.